1: You are listening to Episode 8 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 15. Diurnia System, 2358, July 8th. Luckily, my stateroom wasn't far from the cabin. I managed to get back there before my legs gave out and I flopped on my bunk, I was on third watch and I was off until midnight so I didn't have to be anywhere which was a good thing. I didn't know how to react and my body was doing it all by itself. Only a couple of ticks went by and I heard a tap on the door to the head. Ishmael you okay? Arletta asked softly through the door. I sat up and reached over to release the doorknob. She stood there with her hand upraised as if to knock again. You okay? she repeated looking at me closely. Yeah I think so I told her. But the captain seems to think I'm a spy. Her expression went from concern to incredulity in a blink. A spy, she asked. For whom? I shrugged. I don't know. He was mostly concerned that DST hired me before there was an opening, and he wanted to know who I was working for. She blinked slowly at that. What? Back up. They hired you before there was an opening. Yeah, I said, nodding. You want to sit? I pointed to the only chair in the room. She slipped in and perched on it. What do you mean they hired you before there was an opening, she asked. I just graduated from the academy, I said. Yeah, I heard that part. What were you doing on Diarnia? Is that where your family is from? I shook my head. DST brought me here. I just graduated. DST had an opening, posted at the academy. The commandant gave me a recommendation for it, and DST made me an offer. I accepted, and they sent me a travel voucher but she started to say you weren't here already they brought you here from port newmar i shrugged again yeah i didn't think anything of it myself at least four or five of my classmates got offers from companies just like that she was blinking owlishly at nothing in particular as she considered it but i bet they were all big companies right no mom and pop outfits like dst right i agreed But there was no reason for me to really consider it. I just assumed that they had a projected need for a third mate when they made the offer. Somebody due for promotion or something. Honestly, I never thought twice about it. Holy Hannah, she said. I can see why he's more paranoid than usual. Is he always like that? I asked. She shrugged. It's hard to say. He's a bit of a martinet and very reclusive. When we get to break all, he'll disappear again and not come back until we get underway. Visiting family, she said. "'He has family every place we go.' "'Every place?' I asked. "'Well, we really only go to the four ports, "'mostly all and jet. "'But he pulls the same thing when we go to Welliver and Dray. "'Women in every port?' I asked. "'I assume so,' she admitted, "'but he might just like getting out of the smell for a few days.' "'She made a funny grimace. "'I hardly notice it when I'm aboard,' I said. "'My nostrils must have burnt out.' "'Yeah, you notice it most when you go out and come back.' It'll catch you at times. You'll get a stronger whiff every once in a while. But after a few days aboard, you won't notice. I looked at her for a moment and then asked, So what did happen to my predecessor? I'm not likely to find out anything out here in the deep dark. What am I up against? She wouldn't sleep with Burnside and his bully boys, she said flatly. I gaped. I know I gaped. I didn't realize that was a job requirement, I said at last. "'I must also have looked worried because she said, "'You won't be required to,' with a little smirk. "'It's only the women they're interested in,' she added darkly. "'She looked at me sharply then. "'Get it out of your head. "'I don't sleep with them either.' "'But they tried,' I asked. "'She sighed and shook her head, looking at the deck some more. "'I was going to say it's none of your business, "'but that's hardly fair if the captain has it in his head "'that you're some kind of threat.' "'She grew silent.' and I could see her kind of shrinking into herself. Yes, they tried. I said no and made it stick. But Sissy couldn't, I asked. Her head snapped up and she scowled at me. Where'd you hear that name? A couple of the crew said the ship had changed Sissy for Ishi, and I presumed that was her name. Bernsey called her that. It was his little slap. She wouldn't give in, locked herself in here between watches, only left to go to the bridge in the wardroom for meals. She sighed and scrubbed her face on her palms. There was an incident with a couple of burnsey's bully boys. It wasn't pretty. After that, she was afraid to go anywhere in the ship alone. So burnsey started calling her sissy for being so afraid all the time. That's crap. It exploded. They can't do that. It's harassment. Yeah, who are you going to complain to? She asked with a serious look. The captain. She had a point. How'd she get out of her contract? I asked. I don't know she answered. Maybe she didn't just took the penalty clause. She didn't talk to you, I asked, looking at the connecting doorway. I'd have thought you two would have discussed it, banded together against the common foe, she asked with a fair amount of bitterness in her voice. I gave a small shrug. Something like that. She didn't trust me either. She thought you were in on it? I was already aboard, she said with a shrug. She thought I was a bunk bunny already, I guess. Bunk bunny? I asked. You've been through the academy and never heard the term, she asked sardonically. Oh, no, I've heard the term. I just never heard it applied to officers. Well, typically there aren't enough officers for it to be an issue, she said wryly. Here? Why do you think the captain and Bernsey are so upset that you're here? You're not exactly their cup of tea. They prefer their bunnies with a little more padding, I ventured. Something like that. How have you escaped? Or have you? "'I asked, suddenly very concerned. "'I let them know I don't like guys. "'When they tried to change my mind, "'I broke a arm and kicked Mosler so hard "'in the jewels that he sang soprano for a month. "'I got Mel and Freddie to back me with the captain. "'After that, they left me alone. "'As far as they're concerned, I'm just another filthy lesbo. "'Why didn't you press charges?' I asked. "'She shrugged. "'They made me a deal. "'If I didn't pursue it, "'they wouldn't charge me with aggravated assault. "'They had more proof than I did. "'Kinda hard to hide a broken arm.' I said, something like that. She screwed up her face and said in an almost dead-on impersonation of the captain, now, Ms. Novia, you know boys will be boys, and after all, they've taken more damage than you have. Was that before or after the my word is law speech, I asked. Oh, that was the first day, just like you got, she assured me. I didn't get the spy routine, though. I was already on station when the job opened up. He spent a lot of time hinting that I should sleep in the cabin, but he didn't come out and do anything I could haul him up on charges over. I nodded my understanding. If she had a problem with the skipper, as second mate, she could file a grievance with the company. Her problems with the crew got stonewalled without the captain's support. Even with the support of the engineering and cargo chief officers, she'd have had a hard time making anything stick.' I was no space lawyer, but I'd sat through enough legal implications of space-going command lectures to have a pretty good guess of what the problem was. "'Why'd you stay?' I asked. "'Well, the hard part's over,' she said with a shrug. "'They leave me alone. I don't break any more arms. Mel and Freddy are good people, and there are some of the crew who appreciate having somebody to talk to besides the testosterone gang. "'And you can't get out of your contract,' I finished. She shrugged. "'That, too. A few more months and it'll be over.' two years goes by quickly, and I'll be eligible to sit for first mate before we get to break-all. Not soon enough for some people, I pointed out. Roger that, she said ruefully. We sat there thinking our own thoughts for a bit. So, what's with Mel and Freddy, I asked. Freddy seems afraid of her own shadow. I honestly don't know, she admitted, and before you ask, I have no idea if they're a couple or not. I don't care. Mal's a great person, and Freddy, if you can get away from these goons, is one of the sharpest minds in the Western Annex,' she grinned. "'Personally, I think it's an act, but whatever it is, it keeps him out of harm's way. "'So who are the troublemakers in the crew?' I asked. "'Well, I already told you about Eponis and Mallory. "'Mallory's okay, but he won't buck the flow. "'He'll walk away rather than put his butt on the line. "'Zhang likes a bit of fun now and again, "'but I think they just take advantage of the general chaos. "'I don't think they're really bad.' Who are the victims? Davies in the wardroom. She's bearing up under the strain pretty well, but she's a very unhappy camper. Ula Nart. I'm keeping her under my wing as best I can. Some of the boys think she's my cabin warmer, and I let them think that for obvious reasons. Vicky Van Dallen and Osmia Lignaria and the engineering department. They're both getting a lot of the captain's attention, but he's having to be careful when poaching from Mel's group. Below decks, I don't know how well that's working out. The official policy is no blood, no problem. "'Could this group be any more dysfunctional?' I asked rhetorically. "'Yes,' Arletta answered. "'It could. "'They still speak wistfully of the BDSM parties on the mess deck, "'and there's reputed to be one body still missing back from the good old days "'before there were so many uppity women in the ranks.' "'I blinked in disbelief a couple of times. "'You don't suppose the smell?' I started to say, but couldn't finish. "'Arletta shook her head. "'No, that was too long ago. "'The smell would have dissipated by now.' It was before I came, and I think they just tell that story to terrorize the new hands. This is so wrong, I said. It doesn't have to be like this. She shrugged. We can only do so much, Ishmael. For all that he's a megalomaniac, the captain is correct. In a certain sense, out here, he is the law. He's got the mechanics of it down. In port, he's never on the ship. Underway, his word is gospel. You go against him at your peril. Put in your time, keep your eye on your back, and get out when you can. I sighed. She was right, of course. Okay, I agreed. So what can we do to make it better? Why is everybody always in a dirty ship suit? Why is there crud on the decks? She sighed. I think they go hand in hand. Dirty ship, dirty crew. If we could get one cleaned up, then the other would probably follow. Okay, well, other than browbeating the watch section to put on clean clothes, what else? She shrugged. The coffee sucks. I don't remember the last time I had coffee this bad. I grinned. Coffee I can fix. How do we get to it? I'll prove that you can make better coffee, and I think you'll have Voorhees eating out of your hand. That joke about doing something about the coffee that the captain used on Voorhees this morning, that wasn't a joke. The captain wants better coffee, but Voorhees doesn't know how to do it any better. I looked at her skeptically. Isn't he a spec one chef? Indeed he is, she agreed. But he took a lateral over as spec one from environmental to steward's. He's an engine man? I asked. Well, not now, but he was, yeah. Arletta agreed. No wonder the coffee tastes like burnt engine oil, I said. I think we can do something about that much. Give me a couple of days to work on it. She looked at me skeptically. You're going to make the coffee better? No, I said with a grin. I'm going to make coffee to die for. Chapter 16. Diurnia System. 2358, July 8th. The worst of the shakes had run their course by the time Arletta went back to her stateroom to get ready for watch. It felt a little like sneaking around, having that back door, but it also felt more like normal. It was going to be okay. The captain was a loon. The first mate was a sexist sadist. The engineering and cargo firsts were probably sleeping together. But it was going to be okay, because at least I could talk to Arletta. You're a sick man. I told myself with some degree of satisfaction as I made my way down to the mess deck. As I expected, the mess deck was largely deserted. The chronos had 1,700, and we'd been underway for only a couple of stands. Those who had day work were undoubtedly doing it, and those who had watch-standing duties were either on or preparing to go on watch. The galley proper was just beyond the mess deck. The door was open, and I could hear voices. They'd be just getting ready for the dinner mess, which meant making sure the coffee was made. I stepped up to the galley door and stuck my head in. Mr. Voorhees spotted me right away, and he smiled. "'Mr. Vaughan, can I help you?' he called. The two messmates looked up from their work, Davies, whom I recognized from wardroom service, and another woman whom I'd never met. She had Kramer on her ship suit. "'Actually, Chief, I think I can help you,' I said. "'I know you're getting ready for evening chow, "'but I wonder if I could borrow whichever of your mates usually makes the coffee?' He frowned slightly at that and crossed the galley to where I was standing. I backed out of the doorway so we could step into the mess deck for a modicum of privacy. ''Something wrong with the coffee, Mr. Huang?'' he asked with a guarded expression. ''No offense, Mr. Voorhees, but my sense from the wardroom meeting this morning was that the captain has been ragging your coffee for a while now. Correct me if I'm wrong.'' He looked at me hard. ''You got that? Just from one question and my answer?'' he asked finally. "'No,' I said. "'I've had the coffee.' He barked a laugh in surprise. "'Well, Mr. Huang, you shoot from the hip, but you've got the right of it,' he said. "'What's on your mind?' "'I know a bit about making coffee,' I told him. "'Long story, but I was a messmate before I was an officer, and I know what you're up against.' i was still listening, but the clock's ticking, sir,' he said pointedly. "'You buy beans or ground?' I asked. "'Beans,' he said. "'We grind it by the bucket load.' "'Okay. "'Who does the coffee? "'Kramer?' I asked again. "'How'd you guess?' "'Because Davies has wardroom duty, and you strike me as a fair man.' "'Fair? How's that, sir?' he asked, curiosity, getting the better of him. "'You'd not give all the crap duty to one messmate.' He barked another laugh. "'Guilty as charged, sir. "'Could you send Miss Kramer out, and we'll see if we can do a little good here?' "'Which one's the next urn to go?' I asked, looking up at the chrome work mounted on the bulkhead. "'Number two, he said. I rolled up my sleeves and nodded. "'Excellent.' If you'd have Miss Kramer bring out a step stool, scrub brush, and a couple of liters of white vinegar, we'll get on this. He didn't stand there looking for more than a heartbeat before he went back into the galley and started giving orders. Miss Kramer came out looking scared and confused, but lugging the supplies I'd asked for. You wanted to see me, sir? she asked, a little bit fearfully. Yes, Miss Kramer. How would you like to make coffee to die for? I asked her with a smile. Oh, sir. If we could get people to stop complaining about the coffee, sir? she said wistfully. I think your next problem will be keeping the urn full, Miss Kramer. Now look sharp, because we don't have a lot of time. We got to work, and between the two of us managed to overhaul the number two urn. There was a fair amount of sludge built up in it, but the vinegar and hot water made short work of it. The mess deck smelled like a pickle vat for a while, but that was actually an improvement. I explained the ratios of water to coffee, and we went back to the pantry where the requisite equipment was stored. I tossed the bucket of stale ground coffee and had her break out a fresh bucket. We ground enough for three urns, which would take the ship through the dinner hour, the evening, and the following morning. I had her write down the amounts and the grinder settings. It was a standard 20-liter urn. It was so much like the Lois's that I almost felt homesick. We loaded a basket and a filter, and I had her check the water temperature to make sure we were brewing with cold. She looked at me one last time, and I nodded encouragingly. She opened the valve and began the brew cycle. While the urn was brewing, I stuck my head into the galley. Thank you, Mr. Voorhees, I called. I'll get out of your hair, but I think you'll find Miss Kramer is a most astonishing talent for making coffee. He looked skeptical, but as I left the mess deck, the smell of fresh coffee was beginning to overwhelm the pickly smell of the vinegar. I smiled in satisfaction as I headed for the bridge to check on the ship's systems before I needed to report to the wardroom for dinner. I got to the bridge just as the watch was changing, 1745. I was still not used to the few people on the bridge. The only two underway watchstanders consisted of the bridge officer and the helm watch. The engineering watchstanders were actually in the after-section's engineering control room. Because the ship was under 150 meters, it didn't require an astrogation watch, even though the mass of the ship was considerable. It was part of what made this barbell class so popular. Fewer hands required meant more profits. Mr. Burnside left the bridge, followed by his helm watchstander, Mallory. Neither of them looked back as they left. Arletta checked the instrumentation and chatted for a moment with her helm, Arnold Betts, before crossing to my station. Everything okay, she asked. Oh, yeah, I replied with a grin at my screen. Should be interesting. You got to Mr. Voorhees, she asked quietly. Keep your fingers crossed, I told her, but I worked with Kramer and showed her a few tricks about making a big pot of coffee. I glanced up at her. You were right about him. He was skeptical, but he was willing to give me a shot at making the coffee better. Can you make the coffee better, she asked, with more than a little skepticism of her own. I snorted. Well, I'd be hard-pressed to make it worse, I commented. There were some relatively minor adjustments, which, taken as a whole, should yield coffee the likes of which this ship has apparently not seen in a long, long time, I said. Humble, too, I see, she said with a grin. Hey, don't look at me, I told her. Miss Kramer did all the work. Any improvements are directly the result of her diligence and hard work. I said it with a smile. Arletta looked at me for a long moment in the glow of the screen. Ishmael Huang, you are a strange man, she said softly, but with a smile on her face. She patted me on the shoulder and went back to her duty station. I satisfied myself with the status of ship systems and secured the station. It was time to see if this first small effort would pay dividends. It was all I could do not to go directly to the mess deck and check on the coffee, but the suspense was killing me. I'd left before the urn had finished brewing, so I wasn't sure if the changes had made that much difference. Sure, we'd washed out a lot of sludge, and using fresh ground was always better than trying to coax flavor out of week-old or month-old ground coffee. But I didn't know how much of the coffee problems were related to the coffee itself or perhaps the water supply. In due course, the wardroom meal was served, it was some kind of chicken dish with a light sauce and some green vegetables that were rather badly overcooked. I sighed, wondering whatever made a lube jockey take a lateral into steward. The food wasn't bad, just not good, and I vowed to count my blessings should I get to a ship with a decent cook again. Finally, Davies came in with a coffee carafe, and she gave me a little wink behind Mr. Brinside's back. She poured around the table, leaving the pot between the captain and the first mate before leaving the way she'd come in. I took a sip and suppressed a smile of satisfaction. Whatever the other problems, the coffee would not be one of them for the remainder of the voyage. The brew was rich, flavorful, and completely devoid of the burnt, oily aftertaste. Mel must have seen something in my expression because she frowned just slightly in curiosity before trying her own coffee. I could see it in her face, and she looked at me sharply but didn't say anything. I tried to look innocent and pay close attention to not tasting my dinner. Freddie was the next to sip her coffee, her head bowed over her plate, not looking at anybody directly, but casting the small glances out and around as required. I saw her stiffen in surprise as she raised the cup to her mouth. She straightened slightly and took a tentative sniff. I could practically see the gears turning in her head as she processed the reality "'that the coffee was very good. "'Finally, whatever calculus of logic swirled through her brain "'reached a solution, "'and she looked at me directly for the very first time "'with a shock of recognition. "'She didn't ask how, "'but she knew that I'd had something to do with it. "'Mel murmured something to Freddy, "'and Freddy lowered her head once more into her normal position, "'but a gentle smile curved the edges of her mouth. "'The captain and Mr. Burnside were paying no attention to the table.' They were busy regaling each other with the commentary on various issues of mutual interest and general jocularity. The captain actually sipped from his cup and put it back down without noticing any change. Mr. Burnside took a sip, and he looked confused for a moment as he was putting the cup back into its saucer. But he took another carefully-tasted sip. He placed the cup back on the table and sat there looking at it in consternation for a moment before looking around at us. Mel was sitting there with the look of a canary-filled cat cradling her cup in her fingers and inhaling the aroma. Freddy was sitting in her usual position, head bowed, but smiling a small smile. I pretended not to notice, eating my dinner methodically. Eventually the captain noticed the shift in dynamic, proving that even the most self-absorbed individual will begin paying attention when enough people are not looking at them. "'Is something going on, Mr. Burnside?' he asked. "'Try the coffee, Captain,' Mr. Burnside suggested." The captain frowned, but took a careful sip, and then another, before placing the cup back on its saucer with a thoughtful expression. Well, he said, finally looking up, it seems Mr. Voorhees has resolved the coffee issue. As if surprised, I lifted my cup for a sip, once more savoring the smoothly flavorful brew, and nodding in appreciation. Mel was watching me through slightly narrowed eyes but the captain and Mr. Burnside were engaged in discussing how lovely, how marvelous, and how unexpected the change in the coffee. They failed to notice the looks passing between Freddie Mel, and I. After dinner, I retired to my stateroom, and, making sure that all the doors were carefully secured, crawled into my bunk for a nap before my watch. I had, at least for the moment, a feeling of profound satisfaction, and I drifted off to sleep, secure in the knowledge that I'd managed to do a little good. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and off we go by Great Big C from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big C at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.